Welcome to the second episode of Whiskey, Web, and Whatnot with myself, Robbie Wagner, and my partner in crime, Charles W. Carpenter III. And uh, <laughs> it's, a, it's a moniker that I need to continue as far as the podcast world is concerned. Yeah, no one knows who Chuck is. You've got to be, got to be Charles the third, the third. Yes. Um, so today we have a whiskey from Peerless Distilling. Um, I think they're in Kentucky. Do you know? Yeah, yeah. It says Kentucky yeah, Straight in- Rye Whiskey. Yes, so they're in Louisville. They are in the the homeland. Um, so this time I think we actually have the same whiskey too, which is a win. Unless, did you get a single barrel one? No, I. Uh, uh, let's see, your small batch. So the normal, yeah, I didn't. Mm. I, the normal uh, version. I was shooting for that. So I have the single barrel, so we still don't have the exact same thing. We still don't have the same thing. (laughs) This time you leveled up and I went with the normal, I guess. Uh, See, we'll do a better job of coordinating on that. Yeah. But anyway. Um, We're in the other sides, opposite sides of the country, for those who don't know. So that makes some things more challenging outside of the norm. I'm pouring some. Yeah, same. Maybe we should have put that sound effect in. I put mine up to the mic. Oh, good job. I don't know if you could really hear it or not, but I heard something. Alrighty. So you and your ice and me and my neat should maybe have our little taste. Spoiler alert, not our first. Yeah. Um I think this one definitely seems like it has a lot more spicy notes. Than the Sagamore that we tried last time. It's, uh, I don't know. Let me try, try it again here. Yeah, that's a smart thing. It does start a little sweeter for me and then gets into its spice and then burn. You know, it might be a fun thing for future editions for us to like do a little research on it outside of the bottle uh, and just understand what the mash bills are or something of that mm. nature. Yeah, that's a good mm. good plan. If only we had thought of that before this. <laughs> right. Um, quality suppressed by none. Um, our non-chill filtered, strictly sweet mash delivers rich and mellow taste. That's how they describe it. Yeah, I mean, to me, like, you know, obviously it's whiskey and there's some wood notes, but then, like, all I'm really getting is... Lots of spiciness, like maybe some black pepper or something. Um, See, I get a little kind of molasses in the really very early beginning. Maybe a maple or molasses, a little of that, and then a lot more spice, and it becomes peppery for me. Um, So this idea of sweet mash is interesting. I'm not sure if you are familiar. Most most whiskeys or bourbons in particular, this is a rye, so they can do it a little differently, are a sour mash. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm not sure. Do you know the difference between a or what a sour mash is? Um, One has sugar and one doesn't. I don't know. Mm. Sugars are the, sugars are the heart of all alcohol. Uh, uh, eating what yeast eating sugar creates alcohol. But um, a sour mash means you take a little bit of the previous mash and mix it. So, mm. so it's like a sour dough where you have to have a starter. 
Exactly. That's exactly what it is. Interesting. Yeah. So yeah, I guess maybe this is what Peerless uses as a differentiator there, um, where they're doing a fresh uh, batch every single time. Mm. So why would you choose one over the other? Like, does it impart some of the same flavors if you use this the old one or? Yeah, the old one is intended for like consistency over time, or at least that's what I've been told. Um, and then getting into the chemistry of that, I'm sure people who are um, interested in either baking or like making beers, all of those have some similar like uh, uh, overlaps there. And then you just, A, you're using different ingredients to a degree or um, obviously your intended output uh, differs as well. But yeah, like when you, in the first few days when you are having the or you know, creating the alcohol from the steaming sugars, you're actually what that step in the process um, is actually called a beer. Hmm. So it's also a beer, uh, even a way higher proof and some different ingredients there. They still call right. it a distiller's beer. Gotcha. Yeah, I should probably have learned any of this when I was going to start a distillery, but, you know, found out that there are a lot of regulations and you can't just start that for fun. Yeah, it's weird. Like it's because I guess the dangers involved, you know, is why you have way more regulation. But, you know, you can be at home and start brewing beer anytime you want. If you want to start to distill your own spirits, well, that's a massively different endeavoring. And yeah, you something know, about it being explosive or able to blind you if you do it wrong is probably um, why they would have more regulations on that. Yeah, yeah. And that's the whole like as you are like, uh, distilling out and, and they have what they call the head and the tail. And those are parts that are more dangerous potentially. Yeah. Yeah. With the, um, it's not like butane, is it? Or something, something mm. with a B. Um, yeah. Like the, yeah, the bad alcohol that made everyone blind back in the day. Cause people did it wrong and like prohibition and stuff. Hmm. Our, our forefathers before us. So, yeah, I um, maybe we should circle back, uh, regress a bit to yep. our initial uh, discussion here on the Peerless, Peerless Straight Rye Whiskey. It's fairly popular. Uh, the expense is there as well, too. Um, seems to be around $90, $95 a bottle, which I think is not your casual drinkers or casual sippers kind of thing. No, it's also... Um well, I don't know if this differs because I have a single barrel. Um, well, let me see. What is, what's the proof on yours? Uh, 109.8. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. so it's 54.90. Mm. <laughs> it's so exact. Yeah. So mine's 109.4. Like, there you go. Why didn't they just round the things, up or down? Um, stop, because they have to be explicit when they do the measure. It's like, what, what is your temperature? 98.6, 98.8. I mean, kind of similar ideology. Um, yes. Yeah, so, and yours comes out of one barrel. Mine being a blend of a few could have been some higher, some lower proofs. Right. So it's a, it's a little bit higher proof. Um, like not super high, but definitely has some burn to it. Uh, I think it's a little bit more complex than Sagamore. So it's, um, it's got more going on, you know, more to think about. And I would give it maybe five tentacles. 
it's not quite as good as the Sagamore for me, but it's, uh, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> we're just comparing two at this point. Um, yeah, I don't know. What do we you have think? a base? Well, it was good and also just rise at this point. Uh, we're not in like into an overarching whiskey theory, but uh, I give it six tentacles. I think it is, you know, pretty, it has a couple of dimensions, but like you said, I think the Sagamore has more rounded flavorings. Um, you know, it's good. Uh, I think it's overpriced for what it is. And mm. I think that's what actually scales it back a little bit for me. If I can get things as good or better with a better price point, I already start to like kind of ping against things. So it's really nothing against this on its own, but price does play a factor in terms of how I rate things. And so if you're going to charge me almost double, uh, for you know something like a Sagamore that I like, or even a uh, a Willet Rye, triple a Sagamore. This is like almost a hundred bucks, and a Sagamore was like thirty for me. So, oh wow, yeah, mine was fifty because I had that barrel select right. one. So, yeah, you know it's funny. I never actually get Sagamore, just their normal everyday off the shelf one. So yeah, so for triple then, and maybe I should bring it to more of an apples to apples kind of comparison. Like if you you really got to blow, knock my socks off a little bit. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's good for sure. And, um, I think the, the big difference for me is something like this, that's got a lot more flavor and spiciness to it. I'm not going to drink like six cups of it, you know, not that you should have six cups of whiskey, but like the, the Sagamore, I feel like I could drink, you know, all night casually and it's, it's going to be consistently good. And this, I think I would get a little too spicy, a little tired of it. Maybe start to get a little heartburn as you get older. Oh, that's already a problem for me. <laughs> You're an old man in a younger man's body. Um, oh, that's for sure. Caitlin and I go to oh. bed at like, you know, eight thirty nine, like super early, wake up super early. Um, totally content to eat dinner at like 4 p.m. <laughs> you, know? you get the best, uh, the best deals at restaurants too that time. Yeah, definitely. Oh, there we go on another. We'll have to see. I'm going to, as we go through our discussions, I'm going to, at some point, try it with a little bit, uh, a few drops of distilled water, which Mm. I know I spoke about in the last episode, is a way that I try new things where I have it kind of as intended. I do a few drops of water. If something's really hot, I might add an ice cube or two. but yeah, so that'll be my next stage. I'll I'll update our listeners a little later in the show. Sounds good. Yeah, and looking forward to next podcast. Hopefully, we'll have our new uh, whiskey glasses, so we can evaluate it in a normal glass versus a whiskey glass too. That's true. We can Pepsi challenge and see if we can have it uh, the proper whiskey way. <laughs> Sounds good. So on to another state of affairs um, outside of, of course, this podcast. We've been uh, discussing the last few weeks um, a modern development trend, which is around organizing your projects uh, within monorepos and sort of what that looks like when perhaps it's a good decision, bad decision, why it's a decision at all compared to um, older strategies of separating dependencies and thinking about things as like microservices and micro dependencies and assembling them as needed. And um, 
Well, I mean, I think perhaps you should just start with <laughs> your opinion on the matter as things become new and you say, get off my lawn. Yeah, I mean, you say that like I have a strong opinion about it, but, you know, it's, it's fine. No, I'm just kidding. I, I don't like them. Um, <laughs> um, but, well, I don't I shouldn't say I don't like they have their usage usages, um, you know, in, in the right context, it could be useful. So you have like, you know say a big library that's going to publish a lot of separate packages, but they're going to use a lot of kind of the same build setup and um, dependencies and things. You may want to use it to have that and package it as, as one thing that you only have to deal with one repo and then you can get all these, you know, nice packages. But um, the big problem I've run into time and time again is whenever you are trying to contribute to one you know, you've either got to learn all of the learner stuff, you've got to manually yarn link every single thing, you've got to jump through all these hoops just to get like, you know, your development environment set up to be able to work on this stuff. So whenever I, you know, embroider was one I ran into this week, um, I wanted to get it working on Windows. So I was going to try to debug some things. And uh, they're like, you know, just yarn link it to the your repo and, and try it out. And uh, I was like, well, you know, I'm not used to mono repos. How do I get this to work? I don't know what I'm doing. Um, and you know, getting all that to work cross platform too, from Mac OS to windows to everything is, is a big pain. And you know, that's the, the downside for me. Yeah. That's an interesting use case. Um, so I think in general, first, like talking about what, at least how I, um, understand that they are intended to, to work well for and like what those scenarios are is like a, a couple of different ones. One being obviously if you have all of these codependent packages that you want to publish out, doing it from a single repo and um, being able to work with them all together and then utilizing something like Lerna to independently publish those to registries. That's like one workflow that's um seems somewhat more common lately and is supposed to be one of the ideal ways to use it. I haven't used it that way personally, but I've experienced it a number of times and we'll can probably circle back to that with your challenge in a moment. And then the other one where I've seen it be more successful is when you have a overall application with interdependencies um, and you have perhaps like say an API layer and you have front end application and or applications and then shared packages throughout those things. The developer experience is nice if you're pulling it up in one repo and you're not having to yarn link, but instead workspaces is your tool to sort of do all that automatically and pin your dependencies uh, across shared uh, applications or services with packages and, you know, just have like a nicer overall experience to where like your versions of TypeScript are the same. For example, your versions, linting versions are centrally managed and there's a good understanding contributing across that stack. And then the developer workflow can have a shared command to start both your API server and your your web server for your front end application all at the same time. And that's really great. So couldn't uh, you do all of that, though, with separate repos? Like, imagine you have one kind of central repo that would be the replacement for the mono repo, and it, it's got kind of your 
common dependencies. It pulls in your component library. It pulls in your API. It pulls in all the different packages. And then you can yarn link each of those packages, which granted would either be a manual linking of each one, or you would have to set up some kind of script that would link them all. But once you're linked, you could go, you know, edit files and any of those, and it should work about the same as using a mono repo, it does, right? And it does. That's that's a very valid point. It does, and that's essentially the way many people worked prior to this popularizing and then people reorganizing projects in this way. But you had to have a lot of like manual setup on your own, uh, yarn link, yarn unlink, test things um, after published in the pipeline, all kinds of things like that. And this is supposed to simplify that, you know, like once you know the tool chain working within it is actually not too crazy. Um, I, I think the, the scenario, the use case that you suggest is not, you know, is one of the things that's probably not great about it is that you are maybe an open source contributor and you want to contribute to something that publishes multiple packages out of a repo, but there's only one that you're actually interested in. And so you need to have like that whole thing yarn linked manually to your project and like try and, you know, just try and like be an open source contributor playing within that sandbox but it's not your sandbox. And so now you still need to utilize all these other ways, but there's some additional complexity there because your one package isn't separated out. It's with all the things that they're working with. And so, you know, I totally get that. Um, I think, yeah, that there's, there's some good and bad, just kind of like with anything. I actually experienced this past week trying to, uh, working with a client who is utilizing a mono repo, but is not utilizing uh, workspaces across that repo. And also is trying to publish packages within that mono repo to a registry and consume them locally, which changes the workflow for both of those things. And so you need to support both of those use cases and do some post install. Uh, learned that Yarna, or Yarna learned <laughs> that Yarn has a Windows bug for post install scripts on packages with the Windows environment explicitly. So then you have to figure mm. out some, yeah, it's not able to put together the correct path. There's like a bug in there somewhere that they're not addressing yet. Apparently not even in Yarn 2, um, where it, every in, in every other environment, it's looking for node modules up the tree and then, in Windows, in a post install, it's looking for node modules, no modules together up the tree because I guess Windows does it a slightly different way. Hmm. And ergo, nobody supports it, so you have to like have some hacky patch workarounds. So, so that's only a problem it, for development, though, because you once you've published, it doesn't matter, right? Right, correct. So once you've published, it doesn't matter. But if you're trying to support both of those scenarios and move a mono repo to utilize workspaces because that does some of the management in terms of linking and having shared dependencies be on the same, you know, pinned to the same thing, you know, you just, you easily fall into a, uh, a rabbit hole there. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, it's one of those things where there's good and bad on, on both sides, I guess. And it's kind of hard to, decide who you want to inconvenience, you know? Right. 
And what I've determined is that if there is a library or paradigm that has been popularized by Facebook, you don't like it. Um, that's a broad statement that I would mostly agree with, but I, it's not just because Facebook said it was cool. It's like, it's that everyone blindly takes Facebook's expertise as gospel. They're just like, Oh, you know, uh, react is out and you guys built it. Okay. It must be the best thing ever. Okay. Well, why did you choose it? I don't know. Like I've heard of it. Well, did you evaluate any other frameworks? No, people know React and I've seen React, so we use React. Like, you know, it's okay. it's not that React is inherently bad. It's that people don't take the time to evaluate things well and and choose things. So, you know, I think the same thing happens with monorepos where they're like, "Oh, I've heard the word monorepo. I've seen it in blog posts and like that's that's the cool way to do it, right? Just throw some yarn in there, get some workspaces going. You know, this is easier for everyone." And then whenever you hit problems, it's no longer easier for everyone. So, so, um, so, and and we can make this a full on subject for another, for another episode, but I'm going to throw out another word also coming from a similar place, GraphQL. Yeah. Um, I actually like GraphQL. So that's the exception to the rule. I enjoy GraphQL and think it's a really good idea actually. Um, yeah, nothing really bad to say about it other than that same sentiment of like, if you chose it just because you heard GraphQL was cool, maybe look at some other stuff. But, you know, it is actually really good at what it does. Well, uh, look forward to a future episode where we live code converting Swatch to GraphQL. It will be a 67 day episode <laughs> trying to get all that to work with all the built in JSON API stuff. But I'm, I'm down to try it. Yeah, we'll just make it another data bucket. I heard those are easy. <laughs> yeah. Oh, boy. So did you watch the Super Bowl? Um, I watched the commercials for sure. I was quasi interested in the action in between commercials. I have sort of the opposite uh, interest in the Super Bowl, which is a game mostly played with hands called football. Uh, I subscribe more to, to the proper football, mostly play with feet. Yeah. Um, yeah. So watch that just to kind of make some good snacks and, and I enjoy the commercials and, and what's all anyone watches it for, right? Yeah, I guess. I mean, I guess there's some, uh, I have respect for Tom Brady, uh, in the top of his game. I believe we're the same age. We are not at the same fitness levels. So. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm kind of torn because on one hand, like, yeah, he's really good at what he does and he's, you know, having fun plays to watch most of the time. And, you know, it's it's a good show. But also, I just, I don't know. I just don't like him for some reason. Like, nothing specific <laughs> about him. Just, I don't know, maybe just because I, I prefer to root for the underdog most of the time, even though technically the Chiefs were not the underdogs. Um, yeah, I guess I just, it was like because of Tom Brady's presence, it felt like the Patriots still somehow. Could be that, yeah. So, like, you know, anybody that kind of always is the best team, like the Patriots were for a long time, it gets pretty annoying. Like, kind of the same with college football in Alabama 
where everyone's just like, you know, fans of these teams because they're good basically. And like the fans are all jerks and it's just, just a negative connotation of those people that are usually on top, but that's maybe a, a stereotype that's unfair, I guess. So, so yeah, I mean, in general, I'm, I'm happy that Tom Brady won. I think it's kind of cool that he has more Super Bowl wins than any team just by himself. Um, that's kind of <laughs> right. cool. But, yeah, but it's an it, interesting yeah. thing. In, a- in general, I think it was a mostly meh game. Like, there wasn't a lot of action, and everyone kept thinking that uh, Mahomes was going to do something cool, and then no. But the, the commercials were pretty fire, though. There were some good ones. Yeah, there were some good. There were some bad. Um, <laughs> let's start with let's start with your least favorite. Um, I wouldn't say least favorite, but the most cringy commercial was the Oatly one. Did you see that one? Uh, I did. Yeah, it was like <laughs> the CEO singing or something like yeah, that. Yeah, and he's not great at singing and he's just like singing about wow no cow basically um right yeah yeah i mean i guess in terms of uh budget on the slot and then do you know some sort of public access television level production um you know kudos to you adding three drops to my whiskey right now just so you know nice let's pause for an update on the whiskey hmm Okay, giving it a second. So this is an aeration technique, um, adding additional oxygen to the whiskey through water. Oh, yes. Like the smell. Again, a lot of molasses there for me. Mm, Okay. So the smell brings the molasses. I definitely got a lot of woodiness. I haven't eaten much wood. Doesn't mean I haven't had, you know, <laughs> taken a bite out of some oak or maple. Not snacking I mean, on cedar. Yeah, yeah, you know, cedar in the closet. It's good for your moths or whatnot. Um, odor, not that that's an issue for me, but uh, yeah, I would say that it, it actually turned up a little bit of woodiness, a bit of peppery, but not as long-lasting. And then something a little more floral towards the end. So, mm. yeah, I've yeah. just been drinking mine throughout, and it's uh, as the ice melts, it's still roughly the same for me. But let me see. Yeah, mm-hmm. but lower proof now as the ice melts. Well, yeah, I mean it's it's got a little more wateriness now than it did before. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you um, both hydrate and and work on, you know, your what what do we want to call that? Your mental illumination. Mm. It's a nice way of saying getting a buzz on. I don't know. <laughs> I was trying to be clever there. didn't work. Uh, yeah, so nice with a few drops, perhaps with, with, with a cube or something would, would offer me something there. Can't do the glass full of ice, but, you know, that's Robbie's jam. Yeah, I think it is actually getting a little bit better as it gets a little more watered down and colder. Um, it's. I think it was very aggressively spicy, you know, as we mentioned at the beginning of the episode and... I think this has mellowed it out some and made it to where I could probably drink it for most of the night and be happy with that. Mm. Popping bottles, yo. <laughs> uh, so I'm going to tell you my worst commercial was that Doritos 3D one. I mean, <laughs> so a lot of production into that to flatten Matthew McConaughey, 
a lot of celebrities throughout. So you spent some money for everyone to show up in it. And it was a, a about uh, basically Doritosized bugles. Right. Yep. He puts some of that cheese powder on bugles and he ends up stuck in a machine. I don't know. It was weird. It was bad. Um, I feel and I like Matthew McConaughey. He's entertaining as an actor. He makes bad commercials. And <laughs> I just, you know, I think he's weird in commercials. And you brought some of that for this product that's also strange. It feels like Pepsi Clear. Like, oh, okay, can't wait to see this go away. I like Pepsi Clear, though. Oh, is that, that's not a thing anymore, or right? It's, it's Crystal, right? Pepsi Crystal or something like that. Or is I it think clear? they've done it a few times. I think it's, or at least was clear at some point in my lifetime. They brought it back a year or two ago. And I don't know. I get enjoyment out of drinking a clear beverage and it tastes like cola. I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You're like, this isn't Sprite. Yeah. But yeah, I think um, the, for me, the best commercials were the ones that kept it simple. Like I like the, uh, the Drake from State Farm one where they've got all the stand-ins and it's just like, oh, my stand-in's Drake. <laughs> it's just like, yeah, okay. yeah. That, okay, he was also weird in that, but in an entertaining way. Mm-hmm. I'm like, why are you mean mugging this guy in the end and eating an apple? Like, I mean, maybe that's what you would do in real life, but it feels a little wrong for this commercial. And they were like, yeah, we're not going to reshoot. Just go. <laughs> yeah. but, I, but I did think that one was entertaining. Yeah, it was clever trying to think what else uh i liked the um the alexa with uh, michael b jordan as the alexa vessel did you see that one uh it doesn't stand out for me oh you should you should check it out it's like the lady is looking at a alexa like speaker and it's like wow i can't imagine a more beautiful vessel for this and then a, a bus drives by with michael b jordan on it She's like, ooh, hmm. I wonder how, how that would be. And it, it goes through different scenes of him being Alexa. And like one of them is, for example, it's like he's outside in the yard and she's like, Alexa, turn on the sprinklers. And it's just like getting him all wet. And, and then her husband walks through and is like, Alexa, turn off the sprinklers, you know, like stuff like that. It's it's pretty good. You should check that one out. Okay. Um, I liked the one with uh, Ashton Kutcher and... Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Kunis. Yeah. Yes. There we go. I was like, Mila, what? Kunis. And where they just kind of parodied the wasn't me thing. Yeah. That <laughs> one was good. Yeah. Wasn't yeah. There me. weren't a ton like, of, the f- of commercials in general this year because everyone kind of just pulled their ad dollars. And oh, I, I forgot about Reddit's commercial. Did you see that one? No. Oh, so it was, it was literally like they only had the budget for two seconds or something. So it, oh, and, and we were talking about how genius this was because it flashes up this huge wall of text, right? And then you couldn't read it. So everyone's going to rewind and pause to check out what it said. So it, mm. you didn't have to spend money on a long commercial because everyone's going to do that to see what it said. And, uh, right. it was basically just like, Hey, uh, this was Reddit's entire marketing budget for the year, basically. And uh, we had enough money for like two seconds. And, you know, we're uh, all the stuff with like the GameStop stock and like them, you know, showing that the little guy can win. Basically, it was the message is like, you know, we're excited for the future of like, you know, everyone communicating and being, um, you know, standing up for the little guy or something like that. 
Um, so it was, it was a genius play to only spend that much on that and basically get an infinitely long commercial. Huh. That's kind of interesting. I, yeah, I'll have to look it up because I, it was so short that I either just missed it because again, we were just more passively watching while eating our wings from an air fryer, by the way, which is a game changer that I had, that I denied for so long that actually works. Um, Yeah. So, you know, an air fryer is essentially a convection oven coming from a different direction and read things and sort of poo-pooed that off for a while and all kinds of Black Friday sales. So I gave in to Sarah's uh, frequent reminders that all her friends have <laughs> them and, and that they love them and blah, blah, blah. Did you get uh, magazine clippings put out for you in random spots with random ads and pop-ups of air fryers and subtle No, hints? that would have been kind of funny. <laughs> she just kept saying like, blah, 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 have this air fryer says they're so good. And I'm like, ah, I read a thing in wire cutter. They're not that great. You know, and <laughs> it then just fries stuff. It just it just fries. It's just a convection oven, which is true. But there's a, I guess, a convenience factor there. Anyway, Black Friday sales. I'm like, I don't know, whatever. I'll just do it for Christmas, and we'll figure it out. Uh, yeah. So turns out, game changer for a few different things. If you have kids, you're able to like heat up various kid items uh, pretty quick, and they come out really good. Uh, frozen French fries. We've done them in the oven convection even a number of times, but just still, uh, this just crushed it. Just restaurant quality, super good. So and you do put a fresh, little bit of oil in there, right? Or how does it work? You can. You can spray a little oil or whatever if you want. We don't want the fries, actually. And it just you know has this like slightly elevated tray, and then the fan is there from the top, and it's just like, mm. it just does a a kind of a better job. I'm sure you could get some trays that would maybe work in a convection oven. Um, we, we have our oven is the double oven and has convection. And so like, that's pretty big. And so your preheat takes a while and all that kind of stuff. This preheats in like three minutes has that without buying any more stuff. Um, yeah, I don't know. It makes really good fries hmm. and then wings. So we do fresh wings and put them in there, and then at the end, toss them in your sauce. Oh, man, it it's pretty great. So that was a good part of our Super Bowl. I'm sold. I've been thinking about it, but I don't know. We, we have an Instant Pot, and we barely ever use it. So I don't know mm. if I would use the air fryer more. I guess maybe. But um, one thing we do use a lot is I saw a fancy toaster oven, basically. It's a Balmuda something i forget what they call it but basically it has this tiny little water cup and you pour a little bit of water in it whenever you're making stuff and it like lightly steams things before it crisps them so it's like really crisp on the outside and like nice and moist inside and it's pretty great for anything bread related well a lot of those toaster ovens do have a convect mode so you might see if you could replicate the experience in that because i did consider one of those um, and I was like, oh yeah, another oven. We have a toaster, we have an oven, we have, you know, do I want a $200, you know, toaster oven just to do the same thing? And then, you know, uh, to, uh, you know, so this is like a hundred dollar Ninja, um, air fryer and I got it for like $50. So it was kind Does of Does it like, also blend? Oh, of course. 
Uh, yeah, I have a Ninja <laughs> Blender actually. So uh, if I combine it with a Ninja Blender, well, I, that's so we yeah we already had the brand in that sense. Um, the funny part is that I have an Instapot, but it is not a pressure cooker. It's one of the Instapots that is a replacement slow cooker and has a sear, but it also has a sous vide mode. And Ooh. that's what I mostly would use it for is sous vide. There's a hmm. separate discussion because sous vide is legit. I have a vacuum sealer and then the sous vide and have made some very delicious things. Yeah, I haven't even I've looked actually, at ours to see if... Do you know if the pressure cooker ones also have that setting? If you just turn off the pressure? I would guess uh, you could mimic I, it. It just may not give you the exact temperature readout. Well, that's that's the key. The essential essential part of sous vide is that you set it to its end temperature and then you can leave it over time to sort of let fat congeal or whatever needs to happen depending on the cuts you're working on. That's also perhaps a separate episode because sous vide is, it's the truth for steaks. (laughs) I mean, I used to do the reverse sear in the oven and again, you, you need to do a lot more monitoring and sous vide kind of takes that out of it. It's sort of set it and forget it for a few hours. It's sort of like, Oh, if I 15, 30 minutes, even an hour longer than I had thought, it doesn't ruin anything. If you did that in the oven, it would ruin things because again, that temperature is, it doesn't stop and it does for sous vide. So you get, you know, you get uh, exactly what you're looking for and then you just sear at the end. Yeah. Yeah. We had some friends that came over and brought their sous vide stuff because they were wanting to show us how cool it was and that it worked so well. And it was some really damn good steak. So, you know, right. Um, the next time you get fancy steak sent to you, perhaps that's a method you consider. Yeah. I mean, we should probably do more cooking in general, but we can, (laughs) we can get all of these gadgets and try them out and discuss the pros and cons of them on a future episode. Uh, I support that decision. I support more sous vide and less Arby's in your future. (laughs) Okay. So (laughs) we were trying to figure out what to get. And the only requirement was Caitlin wanted some fries. And so she was just looking through and I mean, Arby's does have some pretty good fries. The curly fries are pretty good, but yeah, the, you know, it's not healthy. And I agree that I can do much better than that. (laughs) <laughs> you can do better. Uh, you heard it here, folks. Yeah, he I say better. that, but I'm about to get some Lido's for dinner. So, what is Lido's? It's a uh, pizza. It's it's square pizza, and the crust is kind of more. It's like a cross between croissants and biscuits, or something. Like it's kind of really flaky and buttery and. It's not like a chewy normal pizza crust like you'd be you get on most pizza. Um, so we had that for the Super Bowl actually, and uh, Caitlin's been craving it since then. So we're gonna get that here in a little bit. Interesting. Yeah. So in the Carpenter household, Friday is pizza night. When you when you have to cook on a regular basis for your family, sometimes you just feel like taking some shortcuts. And two of those that we impart are. Friday is pizza night. They're not always shortcuts, but at least your planning is a shortcut. So sometimes we get dominoes. Sometimes we make our own. Sometimes we'll get a nicer place in town. 
Sometimes we'll try deep dish, you know, we just try and mix it up. But yeah, P- Friday is pizza night for us. So we'll be doing a similar thing. I, I don't believe that we've selected said pizza. We definitely won't be making it tonight, though. I can assure you of that. Well, you and should see if I don't know if Lido's is a chain only here, but if you've got one, I recommend. Um, Lido's. Yeah, I, I think I've only heard of Lido's um, from... Yeah, this is not the same Lido's. Okay, so on the front of DC United's jerseys, they have Lido's. Uh, that's they, Lido's. They did when I lived. L-E-I-D-O-S is, yeah, that's like a accounting, is it an accounting firm? Or one of my friends worked Ooh. there as an accountant. I don't know if they do just accounting. But, um, yeah, so they don't Lido's do is, no, Lido's is L-E-D-O-S. No, I. L-E-D. Hmm. Pizza. I'm gonna guess it's not here. Fair enough. There's nothing like active Lido, 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 and then yeah. okay, Lido Pizza. Oh, well, I'm gonna guess there's not any in this area. Yeah, pro- I think it's probably a East Coast thing because I think it started in Maryland somewhere. Yeah, for those concerned, there is some in Virginia. Uh, in the North and South Carolinas, looks like Maryland, looks like West Virginia, and then, of course, Florida. <laughs> Everything ends up in Florida because there's so many people who move there. Yep. Mm. Well, I think it's about time I order this pizza and get off of here, actually. Yeah, and finish that whiskey. Yeah, I got to actually stop so that I can drive to get the pizza and then come back and finish a very watered down whiskey. (laughs) (laughs) Very first watered down whiskey. All right. Well, uh, if anyone has suggestions for next time's whiskey or topics, please let us know. We would love to talk about things you want to hear about. Just make sure Facebook didn't create it. Yeah, if Facebook makes a whiskey, it's trash. (laughs) Confirm.